Join founder of I Am a Watchman Ministries, Scott Townsend, with co-host Dylan Burroughs, bringing you a fascinating discussion regarding the importance of Bible prophecy and Christian living today as it relates to our responsibility as believers to be watchmen. This is A View from the Wall. Welcome to today's episode of A View from the Wall. I'm Dylan Burroughs, along with I Am a Watchman founder, Scott Townsend. Thank you for joining us today. And in this episode, we have the privilege of talking with Dr. Andy Woods, president of Chafer Theological Seminary. Dr. Woods has contributed to many theological journals and Christian books and has spoken on a variety of topics at Christian colleges across the country. Many of his articles and conference seminars are also available at spiritandtruth.org. We're excited to have you here with us today, Dr. Woods. Thank you for joining us on the program. Hey, it's great to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Of course, and today we're going to spend time talking about your book, The Middle East Meltdown, The Coming Islamic Invasion of Israel. Now, most of our listeners know the prophecy of Ezekiel 38, which you cover in the book. But for those who may not be familiar with your book, can you tell us some of the details of this Middle East meltdown and explain a little bit about what motivated you to write about this topic? Yeah, well, Ezekiel 38, I would direct people just if they've never read this just at least verses 2 through 7, you know, it talks about a conglomeration of nations that would invade the nation of Israel in the last days. And it mentions some peculiar names that I think you can actually trace from Noah's table of nations in Genesis 10. You'll see all of those names mentioned there. uh, And you can find out where those, where they settled. And the modern nations containing those people groups, you know, will invade Israel in the last days, and very quickly put is Libya, Kush would be the Sudan, Persia, Iran, Magog, Central Asia, Rosh, Russia, and then Meshach, Tubal, Gomer, and Tagorma would be uh, modern-day Turkey. And I guess the reason I got interested in this is because it's, to me, it's like, how many times can you get struck by lightning? (laughs) (laughs) You you think of the laws of probabilities, and what you have have today is Israel is in the land in unbelief, exactly what Ezekiel said 2,600 years ago, and this identical conglomeration of nations is arrayed against Israel. And so, I don't know, to me it's one of the most exciting things in the Bible to, to, to study. Dr. Woods, the Middle East meltdown draws heavily on the writings of the prophet Ezekiel, a man God called a watchman. As a watchman and prophet, Ezekiel lost his home, his wife, his country, and his freedom. And he foresaw war and destruction on a tremendous scale. Yet throughout his writings, there is optimism and hope. His book ends on a high note. It is not a message of despair. It's a message that affirms the power and goodness of God. With wars and rumors of wars in the news, what is your advice to those who are burdened by the rise of evil in our world and are tempted to lose hope? Well, I guess my my basic message is to read the whole story, uh, because it does, in Ezekiel 38 and 39, talk about a, a, probably the most difficult challenge that the nation of Israel will ever face, but at the same time, this is the mechanism that God uses to bring the nation of Israel uh, to win that unbelieving nation to himself. And uh, I think it's the book of Proverbs, uh, chapter 18, if I remember right, it talks about how a man of many friends may come to ruin, or comes to ruin, 
but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And uh, the nation of Israel is about to find that out. And I think all of us in our lives find that out in one way or another, because God has a way of kicking out the props from under us where we have no one to trust in but Him. And that's a, a difficult experience. That's what's coming, uh, that's what's in store for the nation of Israel. But through it all, you read Ezekiel 39, verse 22, and Ezekiel 39, the very end of the chapter, it talks about the Holy Spirit coming upon the nation of Israel. And she is brought to faith through this. And believing Israel at that point has God's covenants fulfilled through her. So, yeah, there's some treachery involved in the story, but it ends on a very happy and optimistic note. And that's the whole picture of Bible prophecy. Can you share a few ways watchmen, particularly watchmen who are vulnerable to despair, can guard against depression? Because we see that a lot in various forums, that people are tired, they're exhausted, they are discouraged, and they need inspiration and uh, encouragement. Yeah, I, I would think that if I was just a watchman without the perspective of the Bible, I could see how people would be very uh, discouraged. But Bible prophecy does reveal the reality of some treacherous times that are coming, but it also says things like this, Titus 2, verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, uh, the return of Christ is called our blessed hope. 1 John 3, verse 3 says, Everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself, just as he is pure. And Second Peter 3, verse uh, 13 says, but, but according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And, you know, the day of the Lord, as it's described in the Bible, biblically, a, a day, ha going back to Genesis 1 and verse 5, has an evening followed by a morning. And the evening uh, would be the events of the tribulation period that are coming upon us very rapidly, but the morning would be the daylight breaking through, which would be the glorious kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Amen. when I study Bible prophecy, it makes me a flaming optimist more than the pessimist that we're sometimes accused of being. Dr. Woods, the term prophecy is everywhere. Even secular news quote ancient seers or psychic experts. How is Bible prophecy different from the writings of famous seers, such as Nostradamus, or the writings of other religions, such as what you might find in the Quran? Well, when you're dealing with people like Nostradamus, and you're dealing with the writings of the Quran, you know, primarily you're dealing with the writings of maybe one person in each of those different subsets or different groups. And how different Bible prophecy is, it's not written by one person person. It's written by 40 different authors uh, spanning over uh, a period of 1,500 years, maybe going back 2,000 years total, if the book of Job is as old as everybody says it is. And so you've got, you know, 40 different authors over a 1,500-year time period, and yet they're all coming together in concert and they're all agreeing with each other, not contradicting each other, but they're agreeing with each other concerning the future of our world and what the future holds. And beyond that, when you look at the 
prophecies of Nostradamus, if I can even call them that, they're very, very general. And what do you have in Scripture? You have prophecies that are very, very specific. One of the most famous is Micah 5, verse 2, you know, pinpointing the exact birthplace of the Messiah and how he would die, Isaiah 53, verse 5, being pierced, Zechariah 12, 10, Psalm 22, verses 16 through 18. I mean, these are very specific prophecies. And beyond that, you can look back and, and see a pattern of validation. These prophecies came to pass literally, specifically, and accurately in history. And I don't think the Holy Spirit is changing horses in midstream. Uh, I think the prophecies yet to come, also authored by the Holy Spirit, are going to be fulfilled with that same degree of specificity. And so those two factors, the specificity of, of prophecy, the past track record of prophecy, and the fact that they aren't produced just by one person, but by 40 different authors over a 1,500-year time frame, I mean, that, that makes the Bible very, very different than anything you find in the Quran and very, very different than anything you find in uh, the writings of Nostradamus. Bible prophecy, to my mind, is, is one of a kind. It makes the Bible completely different than any other alleged holy book out there. Well, that's well said. It's a unique book with a unique perspective that we need to hear. And you've been enjoying Dr. Andy Woods, president of Chafer Theological Seminary. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. We'll be right back on A View from the Wall. Welcome back to A View from the Wall. I'm Dylan Burroughs here with Scott Townsend, and we've been talking with Dr. Andy Wood, a pastor, popular speaker and author, and president of Chafer Theological Seminary. Shay Houtman, CEO of Got Questions, was recently a guest on A View from the Wall. He talked about 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Watchmen today can increase their effectiveness in witnessing in a skeptical world by increasing their knowledge of Bible prophecy, but that's literally over 25% of the Bible. Where should watchmen focus, and maybe more importantly, where should a new watchman begin? Yeah, that's such a, a wonderful question, and I think a lot of people jump in to the wrong place. Um, the book of Revelation has about 404 verses and probably about 278 of the 404 verses are allusions to the Old Testament. So the reason why the book of Revelation is so strange to us is we really don't know the Old Testament that well. And I was blessed when I was in seminary to be sitting under a wonderful teacher by the name of J. Dwight Pentecost. And when he taught us, uh, you know, Bible prophecy and things like that, he started us with the biblical covenants. And if you can understand the, the covenants, which are basically a contract, a one-way contract that God has made with national Israel, and how God cannot lie, and how God moves his hand in history to fulfill what he has promised in these covenants, then all of a sudden the end-time scenario starts making sense. And one of the things he said in class, J. Dwight Pentecost, is he said the most important chapter in the entire Bible, and I really didn't believe him at the time he said this, but I've since been persuaded, he said the most important chapter is Genesis 15. 
Because in Genesis 15, the God of the universe makes a covenant with national Israel. And when you study uh, the different ancient Near East deities out there, this idea of God making a covenant with a specific people that's unilateral, you know, completely resting on God's shoulders, that's totally unique to the uh, biblical presentation and the biblical worldview. And if you can get into your mind that covenant of Genesis 15, we call it the Abrahamic covenant, you can clearly see what God is doing in the end times. He's simply moving his hand in history to fulfill what he has obligated himself to do related to the Abrahamic covenant and the covenant that he has made with national Israel. So to answer your question, where should people start? I mean, I would suggest starting with the Old Testament, specifically the biblical covenants, and as they do that, the rest of the Bible, particularly things at the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, will, I think, fall more sharply into focus. That's such a great point. And we've also heard that uh, other Bible prophecy teachers, you know, have drawn considerably on the events in Genesis to prove that, look, if God is not faithful to his covenants to national Israel, he, you know, a lot of things all, all of a sudden become questionable at that point. So the whole foundation, as you've said in Genesis 15, is really where a lot of that focus begins. Do you agree? Yeah, I agree. And, you know, if God can't be trusted to maintain his word in Genesis 15, then how can I trust him as a Gentile Christian to keep his promises to me related to my own eternal security? And Paul, you know, when he gives us these great promises in Romans 8, he goes and he starts to explain Romans 9, 10, and 11 how God, you know, has not forgotten his word to Israel. So if he hasn't forgotten his word to Israel, Romans 9, 10, and 11, then he hasn't forgotten his word to me, a Gentile Christian, at the end of Romans 8. So it all goes together. And not to get distracted here, but that also goes directly against the replacement theology problem that exists in the Church today, don't you think? Yeah, I do. Replacement theology, of course, being the idea that God has cut the cord on Israel and the church has replaced Israel in God's program. And the whole problem with replacement theology is it's an assault on the character of God. If God can clip the cord on the Abrahamic covenant, then he can clip the cord on anything. And that's why I think we need to be opposing, you know, in these last days, replacement theology, as unfortunately it spreads throughout the church. Uh, you've written with some of the most prominent apologists and prophecy experts in our time, including Josh McDowell, Tim LaHaye, David Reagan, and Billy Crone, to name just a few. So I have a fun question for you, Dr. Woods. If our audience could be a fly on the wall, what do you talk about when you get together with other Bible prophecy teachers? Well, part of the discussion, part of the conversation is the concern that we all share related to the silence of the pulpit, related to Bible prophecy, trying to understand why so few pastors, at least in the United States, you know, really will speak up on the subject of Bible prophecy. I mean, we all kind of recognize that as, a, as an issue, and everybody's sort of offering conjecture on the, uh, as to how that could be, you know, possibly resolved. But that's a big topic of conversation. I mean, why is why is the subject of Bible prophecy left up to these parachurch ministries when your average pastor should be teaching these things aggressively from the pulpit? 
And another thing that I like to do or like to discover when I get around these guys is Proverbs 27, you know, verse 17, which says, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And I love to find out areas where we differ. You know, we may agree on 99% of the things, but where do we disagree on? And I don't think anybody has a complete corner on truth, uh, particularly this area of Bible prophecy. And I love to find areas where perhaps my understanding is not as clear or sharp in an area as perhaps someone else. And I just really enjoy the interaction uh, involving, you know, what are they seeing that I'm not and vice versa. You know, when I was at the uh, Watchmen on the Wall conference up in Surrey, uh, British Columbia last year, uh, one note that I had was just how much humor gets bantered about between uh, you guys, and it was quite entertaining for me to see just how uh, warm the relationships are and how much humor is involved, so there's that too. Yeah, I, I think uh, you know we, should, <laughs> we all need to learn not to take ourselves too seriously and understand that God himself has a pretty good sense of humor. And, you know, as uh, the Lord said, you know, he can get the stones to cry out if necessary. And he just uses people because of his grace. And it's just amazing that any of us, you know, have the privilege of being involved in, in God's last day's work. Amen to that. There are some pastors or church leaders listening today. What would you like to say to them about the importance of teaching and preaching Bible prophecy in the local church today? I'd love to hear your take on that. Well, 27% of the Bible, and that's a figure that comes from J. Barton Payne, uh, who's not in our camp at all prophetically, but you know, he said 27% of the Bible was prophetic or eschatological at the time it was written. So when I run into a pastor that says he won't teach prophecy, you know, my response is basically, oh, so you leave out a, more than a quarter of the Bible. And so I would say this, if you're interested in the full counsel of God's Word, which we should all be interested in as shepherds, you've got to broach at some point the subject of Bible prophecy, since God and His Word has divulged an awful lot of the, dedicated an awful lot of the Word to that, to that subject. Well, that's so important, the teaching of the full counsel of God. And we're here with Dr. Woods speaking about Bible prophecy. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. We'll be right back on A View from the Wall. Welcome back to A View from the Wall. I'm Dylan Burroughs here with Scott Townsend, and we've been talking with the president of Chafer Theological Seminary, Dr. Andy Woods. And Scott, we have a tradition here on A View from the Wall where we ask a question directly related to the watchmen who are listening today. So guide us as we consider this topic with Dr. Woods in this episode. Dr. Woods, we have a special tradition at the end of our podcast to really ask our guest to speak into the watchman community. And one of the uh, things that uh, just continues to, uh, we just are in awe of what God is doing in our ministry today, but uh, starting from just a few months ago, we've got 100 countries now represented in our podcast and over 140 countries on our website. So when we speak into the Watchman community, we're speaking directly into those that have uh, declared that they're all in for the Lord as a Watchman which they can do by subscribing to our newsletter on our website. 
And also, uh, we would ask that you directly speak into that because, as we've already discussed, watchmen need encouragement. They need inspiration. They need to hear from godly men that have tremendous ministries such as yours so that they can be filled again to take the battle onto the next day's uh, you know, shift on the wall, so to speak. So if you can have the floor right now, what would you like to say to our watchmen community? Well, I don't really know how to improve on on what the Lord said in Matthew 16, you know, verses 1 through 3. Um, It says the Pharisees and the Sadducees came up and testing Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven, but he replied, when it is evening, you say it'll be fair weather, for the sky is red, and in the morning there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times? Question mark. So in other words, he, the Lord, is rebuking the religious leaders of his day back in the first century because they should have been paying attention to the signs of the times. There was a lot of prophecy concerning that generation that they were held responsible for. And if that's true, I believe that there are even more prophecies related to our general time period that we are accountable for and responsible for as well. And so, you know, if the Lord held that generation accountable for the understanding of Bible prophecy, how much more accountable are we? And it's interesting, people, just like in the first century today, know how to interpret the weather They know how to interpret the stock market. They know how to interpret interest rates. They know how to pick their favorite teams, you know, on the bracket concerning the final four. But how many people are really paying attention to the signs that really matter? All those other things are just trivia. I mean, this is the end of the age that's come upon us. And so I think people that call themselves watchmen trying to look at the signs of the times through a biblical lens are directly fulfilling the will of God and are in the heart of God based on what Christ disclosed there in Matthew 16, verses 1 through 3. And one other thing, if I can add this, is the Apostle Paul, in Acts 17, verses 1 through 3, it says this, and according to Paul's custom, he went to them for three Sabbaths with them, reasoning with them from the Scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead, and saying, this, Jesus, this is the Jesus whom I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ. And what Paul is doing there is he's appealing to Bible prophecy. He's showing that the life of Christ and the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ is the fulfillment of a prophetic script. And uh, these are related to prophecies concerning his first coming, but when we reason with people, about prophecies relating to his second coming yet to come. We're doing exactly what Paul did. We're appealing to Bible prophecy as proof that the Bible is different, and God who authored the Bible is in fact uh, omniscient, because the Bible reveals the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. So if we neglect prophecy, both the prophecies that have come to pass and the prophecies that are yet to come, I think we're forfeiting one of the greatest uh, apologetic tools that the Holy Spirit has given us in terms of persuading unbelievers. So when someone calls himself a watchman on the wall in terms of Bible prophecy, that's music to my ears, 
because they're fulfilling the will of God, Matthew 16, 1 through 3, and they're reasoning like a true apologist, Acts 17, uh, verses 1 through 3. Thank you for those words. And I also want to add that we hear often that it's a great privilege, actually, to be living in today's world because we get to see things that those in the past, uh, you know, just did not even see the beginning of these things beginning to unfold, such as the rebirth of Israel 70 years ago. And so it is a privilege, and it should be a matter of joy for us to know that we have been created and placed exactly where we are in this point in history so we can contribute to that final push of bringing the gospel throughout the earth and to help win those for the Lord. Is that a fair summary? Yes, I do. And, you know, we we shouldn't be yawning. We ought to be yearning (laughs) because, uh, you know, you're exactly right. I mean, you know, if if the guy, if the generation that taught me, some of the older guys, were alive today and could see the things that we are seeing regularly in our newspapers, they would be screaming at the top of their lungs. And it's it's almost as if our generation has gone to sleep about some of these things at a time when we should be yelling the loudest. Just to give you one example, you know, it talks there in Revelation 11 about two witnesses that are going to be killed, and their bodies are going to lie on the city streets of Jerusalem. They're brought back to life, and the whole world is going to see this event in Jerusalem. And it's interesting, going back a 100 years to older commentators trying to make sense of that prophecy, and yet I just was in Jerusalem recently, and there's literally a security camera uh, almost on every block, And you can see how technology has finally caught up with the time period that the Bible predicts, how the whole world can see and will see this event happening on the city streets of Jerusalem. And to me, that's terribly exciting that we're that close. You know, we're living in the general time period when all of these things are extremely believable and credible. And God providentially has allowed our generation to see these things. And so we're very privileged people. And I think we ought to incorporate this into our teaching and into our evangelism. Yes, and one more thing that I think is just um, incredible is that the focus on Bible prophecy and understanding where we are in the Bible prophecy timeline is such that there's this purification process to be ready as the bride of Christ, and there's this reduction of noise in our life as we lay childish things aside and we begin to focus on purity and the pursuit of the Lord. Um, Isn't it true that that is a great source of joy as we feel the shackles of this world beginning to loosen their hold on our lives? Yeah, you know, according to Bible prophecy, there's only two things that are going to make it from this life into the next one, because Peter tells us in Second Peter 3, verse 10 and following, that this whole world is going to be destroyed by fire. And so what will survive the burning process? Only two things. First of all, God's Word, because the grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God abides forever. Jesus said, heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will word will remain forever. And the only other thing that's going to remain is the souls of men and women, because God has placed eternity, you know, into the hearts of men. And so the more we're invested in God's word, and the more we're invested in people, 
the more we're making eternal investments. We're, we're, we're investing our energy into something that's going to last. And I would have no clue as to what those two things are if I was not a student of Bible prophecy. So Bible prophecy is a reminder to me of what is really important, which has a great role of allowing me to readjust my priorities in the present and not spend so much time with trivial things, which are going to burn, you know, rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic, so to speak, but investing myself in the two things that are really going to last. And that's why God gave us prophecy, to, to alter our priorities in the present. Well, that is so well said. The Word of God and the souls of people, the two things that will last for all eternity. Dr. Woods, we want to thank you so much for your time today and spending moments with us to encourage our listeners on A View from the Wall. And I want to encourage our listeners today to go pick up a copy of the Middle East Meltdown, The Coming Islamic Invasion of Israel. We have that and so much more at the website of Dr. Andy Woods that you could find at spiritandtruth.org. And again, we want to encourage you to look at some of the links below where you've listened to this program today to get some more information. We encourage you to check out IamAWatchman.com and subscribe to our email for all of our updates. And join us next time here on A View from the Wall. A View from the Wall, in association with I Am A Watchman Ministries, exists to equip a worldwide audience with biblical truth, sharing it with others, and being prepared for Christ's imminent return. The team seeks to encourage, inspire, and equip watchmen for such a time as this. For information about the ministry and upcoming events, visit IamAWatchman.com. A View from the Wall is made possible by the team of dedicated pastors, editors, and the many contributors of I Am A Watchman Ministries. To support our efforts, give online at IamAWatchman.com and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time on A View from the Wall.